venue, welcome. Chapel, good to have you. And Cactus Campus in Northridge, glad you're joining us for a time in the Word. And, uh, you know, I'm going to let you into a little bit of my world around here at, at Scottsdale Bible. Uh, you know, in the summers, I, I spend a, some concentrated time away preparing for the next year. And I pretty much map out the entire year of where we're going uh, preaching-wise and, and through the series and topics and what have you. And it would not be unusual for me to come back and, and try to fire up the, the, the staff and say, you know, here's what we're going to do. Here's the series we're going to do. And they look at me like... Uh, I'm insane, and that, you know, that doesn't sound very exciting. And I, I can remember when I came back from my summer break uh, last fall, and I started talking to them about this year, and then I got to January and February, where we are right now, and I said, we're going to do a spectacular series on the fall. And they looked at me like y'all are right now, like that doesn't sound very spectacular or exciting. And I said to them what I say to them very often, which makes me feel kind of lonely, but I, it's also just part of leadership. Uh, when, they, when it seems to fall flat, I'll say, just trust me, it's going to be great. And they're used to me saying that. And then they just sing wonderful songs about Jesus and let me have the pulpit. And that's kind of off to the races. I, if you've been with us the last four weeks, you know what an incredibly relevant and even life-giving look this has been, not because of me, but because of the word of God, into this concept that the Bible puts before us of the fall of humankind. It truly answers the question, what in the heaven is wrong with us? And not just them out there. This isn't just about Howard Stern and Mick Jagger and Miley Cyrus and all the people that seem to go off the deep end. This is about you, who also happens to go off the deep end now and then. And why is it that you do what you do? Why is it that you struggle with what you struggle with? The Bible has an answer to that. And it has to do with your nature, something wrong with you from birth called the fall. So we spent the first week looking at Romans 5 and what it says about the fall. And then we've simply been looking at four different aspects of how the fall has played itself out in our 21st century culture. So if you've been with us, you know we've looked at the idea of our frantic pace, our uh, loss or abandonment of values, uh, our limited view of God, and today we're going to talk about the loss of hope. And just like we've done every week, it's not a downer of a series. Uh, we spend some time outlining how the fall is playing itself out, but then we talk about what the Bible does, and that's how we can reverse the curse. As followers of Jesus, how can we not cave into a frantic pace? How can we get values commensurate with the word of God? How can we have a broader, more fuller biblical view of God? And then today, how we cannot cave in to much of the hopelessness going on around us. I'm telling you, this is the best I got, gang, uh, when it comes to God's word, because this is really relevant stuff. And today we go to the summit and talk about something the Bible does regularly, this idea of hope. So with that said, what am I gonna do right now? Does anybody know? We're gonna pray, because I never go to God's word without asking his blessing first. So let's do that now. Father, uh, as somebody reminded me before I came up here today, my constant prayer is that this would be your word to your people, empowered by your spirit. I don't want this to be about me, God. I don't just want this even to be about the gifts you've given me. I want this to be about what your Holy Spirit wants to say through your word to your people. 
So I pray, God, that, that each one here in our, in our Northridge campus, Cactus Chapel and venue uh, would be hearing from you over the next 35 minutes or so. May their hearts be tender, may, may their minds be focused as they hear what your word has to say to them and your truth as well. And so I pray this in Jesus' name and we all say together, amen. amen. So here would be a really good starting place for an intelligent discussion on this idea of loss of hope in our culture today. And let's just personalize it to you. And that is, have you personally ever lost hope in any area of your life? Just answer that inwardly. Have you ever in your entire life lost hope in an area of your life? My guess is many, if not most of us have. Like, have you ever been in financial debt so bad that you thought to yourself, there's no way I'm going to recover from this? Or has your marriage ever gotten to the point where you have said, I see no way that we can make this work? Or has your job stunk so bad that you have inwardly surmised, I don't think that joy is ever going to come to my life while I'm in this position or how about when one of your children, adults or not, goes off the deep end for years on end and you think to yourself, I can't even picture anymore what wholeness or lack of drama looks like. Or how about when your inner dragons, whether it be anxiety, worry, depression, or even those nasty addictions, rear their ugly head again and you think to yourself, will I ever get over these things? Or lastly, how about even spiritual issues like doubt, spiritual battle, not feeling a sense of God's abiding presence or even confusion. Go on for years on end and you wonder, is perseverance going to be the name of the game for me? Am I just going to have to gut this out the rest of my life, never really sensing a deep presence of God or these with me? See, here's the deal, gang. My guess is that many, if not most of us, can own that there have been times that we have lost hope. You need to know it's very common in a fallen world, even for God's people. Almost all of us experience this at times. We simply don't see light at the end of the tunnel. The darkness sets in and when that happens by its very nature, we lose hope. You see, here's a really good, very simple definition of hope. It's not a technical one I gave you guys a few years ago when I did a message on hope. This one's more down to earth, but it's just as workable as we try to talk about what hope looks like in a fallen world. Here's what hope is on a general level, and that is that hope is simply when you or I see good on the horizon of our lives. That's hope. It's seeing good on the horizon of our lives. So hope is conjured up whenever you and I look to the horizon of our lives and we expect and vision or sometimes even see something good way out there, but even in the midst right now of our trouble and difficulty that we are having. Probably the most simple analogy I could give you would be the weather. So it might be raining where you are right now and you've all experienced this and you look onto the horizon and you see the sun beginning to shine. And you think to yourself as you look at the weather pattern, that sun seems to be coming toward me. And so you have hope in that moment that it's eventually going to stop raining and the sun is going to shine again. In a corollary fashion, that's what happens in our lives in all these other areas. We look up 
and we see on the horizon of our lives, the sun begin to shine again. And even though it's way out there, we anticipate it. We expect it. And by its very definition, we hope for it. That's hope, seeing good on the horizon. So going back to a few of our examples that we used a few minutes ago, hope is conjured up when we envision a day when we are debt-free, even though now we're mired in it. How many of you remember the recession of 09, 08? Raise your hand if you remember that. How many of you really remember it? Raise your hand. You see, when that recession hit, even in places like Scottsdale here, I'm telling you, people came up to me and they said, Jamie, my life is over. I, I've lost everything. And in fact, I was on the board of St. Mary's Food Bank during the recession, the largest food bank in the nation here. It's based here in Phoenix. And uh, true story, at one point, this guy drove up to one of our food pantries in a late model Corvette. I mean, just a beautiful car, opened up his trunk and said, I've lost my house, I lost my job, this is the only thing I have left, can I have some food? You see, that's hitting hard times. And one of the things that I used to tell people on a regular basis when they would come to me and give their tale of woe during the recession is that I would say on a regular basis, here's what you need to understand, God is a God of provision, he provides for the birds of the air. Every hair on your head is numbered. He takes care of the widows. And if you will trust him, he will take care of you. And you know what happened when I would say that to people? They'd start to look on the horizon of their lives. And they would start to get just a little bit of hope that these days might just get better. And indeed, as we'll see, many times they do. You see, that's hope. Or how about our kids? I mentioned that as an example. Hope is conjured up when you look on the horizon of your life, and for many of you this might be hard to picture, and you picture your kid making good choices again and even walking with the Lord, even though right now it's not happening. You envision what it might look like for your kid to be responsible and loving and kind and, again, walking with the Lord and finding joy, even having devotions with him. And as you picture that, even though now it seems dark, you start to get a glimmer of hope on what could come down the horizon. Or even this, and this I know is very hard for some of you, hope is conjured up when we remember what it was like to not be burdened by anxiety or crippling depression or addictions that we can't seem to get over, we envision that this day actually could come again, even though it's not now, and by doing so, we hope. You get the idea. Hope is any time that you and I choose, and I'm gonna challenge you today, that hope begins with a choice. You are not a victim, you are not held captive. Hope happens when you and I choose to gaze on the horizon and not focus on the darkness in front of us and look to the light ahead that God always seems to provide and envision a good and better day coming. And I'm telling you, when you do this, your soul will begin to get hope. Now, once we get this, that this is hope, it's seeing good on the horizon, to combat the pervasive loss of hope that hits us in this fallen world, we need at this point to make a distinction and comparison between two different kinds of hope the Bible lays before us. And I'm telling you, many of you have never seen it this way, and this is going to be worth the price of admission today when it comes to you and hope. So here's the distinction. I put it in your notes, not even with any underlines. And that's the distinction between temporal hope and eternal hope. 
temporal hope and eternal hope. And here's what you guys need to know. The Bible affirms, validates, underlines both of these kinds of hope. Let me explain. You see, temporal hope is simply hope that exists in this world. It's hope that's confined by time and space. It's hope here and now. If you look up the word temporal in the dictionary, it simply means relating to time, relating to earthly life. And the point is, the Bible talks about temporal hope a lot. The reality that we can tap into an ability that God has put in us to look on the horizon of our lives and hope for a better day here and now. If you don't believe me, look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 30, verse 5. You know this passage, many of you do. He says, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Don't you love that? Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. What what is the psalmist saying? He's saying right now things, things seem dark, but don't worry. As the sun comes up, as morning comes, you're gonna have a shout of joy. Things are gonna look better. See, that's temporal hope. That's hope here and now in your life, and quite frankly, in relatively short order. Or how about Jeremiah 29, 11? A lot of people put this verse on their fridge. It's actually a promise to Israel, so we gotta be careful here, but I think the principle still stands for how God interrelates with us. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a, say it with me. Say it again. See, that's what God's about. God says, here and now, I don't want calamity for you. That's not my will. That's not what I want in this fallen world. I want you to have some welfare, make a good living, have a good life, walk with me, and have hope and a bright future here and now in this temporal world. Please see it's temporal hope, very real indeed, a hope for a better life here and now. And the Bible affirms this over and over again. And I'm gonna argue in just a minute that this is the only hope our world knows in very, very limited form and that God wants to offer us much more. Had a fascinating thing happen to me this week. I was meeting with a guy that I became friends with by about 10 years ago. You'll hear later on in in our message uh, how we became such wonderful friends, but I I really am intrigued by this guy and I like him a lot. His name is Mike. And, And Mike, for about a decade and a half, was in the army. He was a sergeant, an enlisted man. And, uh, and, and we were just kind of recapping over breakfast this week uh, a lot of his journey in life. And he said to me at one point, he said, here's something you don't know about me. He said, I was once on The Price is Right. <laughs> I said, the, like with Bob Barker. And he said, yep, yeah, back in the days of Bob Barker. And, and then he said, and here's what you don't know, I won The Price is Right. I said, you gotta be kidding me. I said, he goes, yeah, he goes, you got your iPad? I said, yeah, he goes, let's look at it on YouTube. And so we sat there in the restaurant and he sent me to a YouTube link, and it was really wild. I mean, and, and he told me, you know, all my life, he's about 40 now, he said, all my life, ever since I was born, I, I've watched The Price is Right. It was just me and my mom, and we loved The Price is Right. And I had a dream that someday I'd want to be on The Price is Right. And in 2005, I was based in California with the Army, and I threw my name in, and I got invited to be in the audience of The Price is Right. I was in the very, very back row, he said, and, and sure enough, they called my name. And that's when he looked at the video. And it was really grainy, or I'd show it to you, but I mean, he just went nuts. 
I, I mean, they all went nuts, right? You know, because you say, hey, Mike Lee, come on down, you know, and he's running down the aisle. <clears throat> but he is just insanely excited. He's not a Christian at the time, doesn't know the Lord. This has been his life's dream to be on The Price is Right. And he'd watched it so many times that by the second round, he just nailed it and won it. And I said to him, I said, what did you win that day? And he pointed to the parking lot of the restaurant where you're in. He said, I won that Jeep. And there was a 14-year-old red Jeep that he won on The Price is Right. <laughs> and I'm going to finish his story in a minute for you, but just pause right there. That's a great example of temporal hope in a fallen world. A guy who was born just doing his thing, joined the army, trying to muddle through this life. And one of his great hopes, desires was to be on the prices right. And he gets it. And he even wins it. And for him, his hope, his dream, if you will, came true. That's the way I'm going to argue in a second that many people in the world live. Now, before we move on, let's compare and contrast this to what the Bible refers to as, well, we won't go back to it, as eternal hope. Eternal hope. Eternal hope is hope that considers eternity, the spiritual realm that leads all the way to heaven. So here's the distinction. Temporal world is bound by here and now, but the Bible paints a picture of another world, not just when you die, but an eternal world that you can tap into now, what Jesus called the kingdom of God, and that your hope can also lie there as well. And this is a powerful aspect of hope in a fallen world because it's a hope that extends beyond the temporal world. So look at how the Bible very clearly lays this out. This is one of my favorite passages. In fact, when I first was learning to preach back in seminary in 1988, this was the very first sermon I ever gave out of this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled that will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, there's a lot going on here. But simply feel right now, Cactus, Venue, Chapel, Northridge, just feel right now in your spirit the difference in description between this kind of hope and what we might call a Price is Right hope, a temporal hope. See, this hope is even defined right out of the chute differently. It's a living hope coursing through the veins of your soul. And why is it living? Because it's offering you an inheritance, that's an interesting word, and we'll see that inheritance is heaven itself that is imperishable. When food is perishable, what does that mean? It spoils, it gets rotten. This will never get that way. Undefiled, when something is defiled, it means it's impure. It'll never get that way. No, it's guaranteed for you in heaven, in eternity. In other words, it's a hope that allows you to tap into a world around you that is very different, that extends beyond the temporal world. Please see, it's an eternal hope, a level and kind of hope that goes way beyond this world. But interestingly, and this is why I said we need to contrast and compare this, it's accessible within the temporal world. So let's review you got two very different, albeit similar, types of hope. Temporal hope here and now that the Bible affirms, affecting the quality of life in this world. And then eternal hope, 
a hope of heaven with the Lord that begins now as you tap into the spiritual realm of his presence. Now, with this understanding of hope, namely that hope is simply seeing good on the horizon and that it comes in two different forms, temporal and eternal, I want to wrap up in our time remaining today by sharing with you three biblical observations of hope in a fallen world. In other words, three, if you will, things that the Bible makes very clear about hope, given what hope is, seeing good on the horizon, and that it comes in two forms, temporal and eternal. So let's start very simple. Here's the first thing the Bible affirms, and that is that all hope, all hope comes as a result of faith. All hope comes as a result of faith. And you're saying, well, why is that important? This is what ties all the different kinds of hopes together and leads us to a very workable understanding of hope. Because what is being laid out here, don't miss this, is that all hope by its very nature requires some sort of faith and trust, whether it's temporal hope or eternal hope, whether it's hope for something shallow, like winning a Jeep on the price is right, or something deep and meaningful, like your marriage making it through rough times. Get this, even whether you believe in God or not, whether you're spiritually minded or not, it's all the same because of how hope works in a fallen world. Hope only comes as a result of exercising some kind of faith. And we're not even talking about faith's object yet. We're just saying you have to exercise faith if you're ever going to have any hope in this world. And lost people do it all the time. Because you see, hope by its very nature is not yet realized. We've already established that. It's something that is on the horizon that we don't experience yet. So you have to exercise some sort of faith that what you're hoping for will come to fruition. Give me a head nod that y'all understand that. So even a secular person out there today that says something like this, man, I hope it doesn't rain a week from today, is exercising faith in what the weatherman says and the weather patterns that he's looking at and what the machinations of a world will do as weather patterns come across the, the country. It takes faith even if it's a little bit of faith, to ever have any kind of hope. And this is going to be important for where we're going in a second here with point two. But before that, look at how the Bible affirms this. This is a passage that most of you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. This is Valentine's Day. This will appear on a lot of Valentine's Day cards because Hallmark loves this passage. It says, but now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, tell me this isn't true. When most people hear this verse, they focus on the last part, don't they? But the greatest of these is love, which is a great part to focus on. But let's focus on the first part for a second. Because it says that now faith, hope, and love abide these three. It's interesting the order that Paul puts them in. I think he puts love there because love, as he's going to say, is the most important. But he puts hope after faith. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that's by design? I think so. I think what Paul is telling us is something written into the, the fabric of our universe. It's part of the DNA of our universe. And that is that you can't have hope without some kind of faith. Faith must come before hope or hope will not be realized. 
And it's the way all hope works is that it's predicated on some kind of faith. And again, we're not even talking yet about the object of faith. It's just that all kinds of hope requires some type of faith. You have to trust that what you're hoping for might just come to fruition. Now, once we understand that hope comes as a result of faith, we're ready to look at the second key observation that the Bible gives us about hope. Now, before I give it to you, let me make a pastoral comment to some of you right now. I need you to look up and wake up as we go into this second point. Amen? Because you're getting tired. I get it. And you're starting to think of Mimi's or wherever you're going to go to breakfast. I get it. I'm thinking about it too. If this was football season, I'd be thinking about one o'clock kickoff time about now. But let's not do that because this is a really important point that's the heart of our look into hope. And you can see why, because it's very complex, but you're going to want to dial into this. And here it is. This is, what we've been leading, this is what we've been leading up to the whole time. Without God, you can have limited temporal hope. We'll address that in a second. However, with God you can have enhanced temporal hope and abiding eternal hope. And the question I want you to answer right now to yourself is which do you want? Without God, you can have limited temporal hope. With God, you can have enhanced temporal hope and abiding eternal hope. What do we mean by this? Let me quickly walk you through three passages that will forever settle the issue for you. First, look at a passage we looked at earlier. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. I pointed out to you this earlier, that this is a passage defining temporal hope. Here's what you need to see today. You can believe that. You can apply that with absolutely no faith in God, if you want to. I'm not being sacrilegious right now. It's just true. I grew up with this passage, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up with this passage hearing things that you heard growing up too from my mom and dad all the time. But when I would be bummed, I hear my mom say, and you've heard this, don't worry, Jamie, this too shall pass. That's just a requote of Psalm 30 verse five. Or how about this one? Don't worry, Jamie, things were gonna look better in the morning. That's just Psalm 30 verse five. Or how about this one? Don't worry, Jamie, tomorrow is a new day. Or how about this one? Time heals all wounds. See, these are phrases that our culture uses today that they don't tie to God in any way. And I love it. They're just stealing it from the Bible and rephrasing it. And it works. I mean, when I was a little kid, I didn't know the Lord. I didn't walk with the Lord. But I'd have a bad day and mom would say, don't worry, things will look up in the morning. I'd wake up in the morning and guess what? Things would look up. The sun be shining, I'd have a sporting event, you know, my not fighting with my girlfriend anymore. I, I mean, it was a better day. That's the way it works in a fallen world. It's up and down, it's secular, secular, and, and that's the way things are. And the point is, there's lots of people out there today who don't have a lot of faith in God, who live and claim the promise of the psalm. They believe they have faith. That's why point one was important. That in a fallen world, when tough times hit, if I just hang in there, look to the horizon, then good times will come again. And this is why I say it's important for us to recognize that without God, you can have limited temporal hope. We have to honor that. Many people live like this. It's the best chance they have of hope in a fallen world. And though I'm going to argue in about two seconds that that's a pathetic and terrible way to live given the other option. It is where many people are today. It's what you see in the sitcoms that you watch, in the movies that you were into, 
in the business journals that you read, at the auto dealerships that you work at. I'm telling you, this is where most people are at. They're living for some form of temporal hope, and you and I know better. Because look at what the Bible then goes on to say to you and I. Now let's look at what eternal hope is like. Paul the Apostle says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. What a powerful verse. The context here, and it's almost hard to believe because we don't have this theology anywhere in our world today, but back 2,000 years ago, when people first started to become followers of Jesus, there was a group of people who were following Jesus who had been influenced by a, a kind of rare Jewish belief of the Sadducees in which they said there is no such thing as eternal life. They borrowed that from some of the Greek teachings. And so there was this Jewish contingent that said, yeah, we can get some stuff from Yahweh, from God now, but there really is no resurrection from the dead. There's no eternal life. And so these guys became Christians and followers of Jesus, and they dragged that into their theology. So what they were arguing was, is that it's good to believe in Jesus, it's good to follow him, but when you're dead, it's six feet under, lights out. that's it, and the only value in following Christ is what you might get from him now. And obviously, that goes against the clear teachings of Jesus and Scripture, I mean, clearly, and so Paul's combating that. And here's his argument, that if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, pause right there, in the temporal world, that's why that distinction's important, if only we believed in Christ for what he could give us here and now, that Jeep on the price is right. If that's the reason we believe in Jesus, then we are of all men most to be pitied. Why? Because eternity makes your best day here look awful. Amen? Eternity makes your wonderful house in Scottsdale, no offense, look like a dump. It does. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to go, why did I fall in love with my house in Scottsdale? Why did I wash my car so often in Scottsdale? Why was I so concerned about my money in this life? You're going to get to heaven and go, I can't believe those things took my attention. Because eternity is where God is shooting for us to go. That's what he wants us to have our sights set on. Because listen, gang, that's where our hope is found. Amen? That's where you're going to be lifted up to the horizon in the midst of your darkness now and go, I'm okay because God is in the house and God is in my life and eternity's on the horizon and therefore I have hope. You know, it's almost hard to to grasp this today because, and and I'm not bemoaning this. I mean, I, I live in the same world you guys do, but you all understand how good we have it compared to the rest of the world. There are cultures living right now in Somalia, in the Congo, in the Middle East that will never experience the temporal hope that you and I have. I mean, there there is none. They're never going to have a quality of living. Honestly, the best we do, we say, let's give them all water. Like that's what Hollywood says. Let's get water for everybody. And by the way, that's a good thing to do. But we don't understand how maybe undershooting that is when it comes to what we have with temporal hope. (laughs) They're never going to have that. There have been entire cultures in history that were mired in slavery, that were born into environments in which they knew they'd probably die in that environment. And here's what you have to wrestle with. Because what we're experiencing today is kind of a rarity. 
if that's how the rest of the world has lived, if that's how historically people have lived, how in the world could God give them any hope? Have you ever thought about that? That their hope was not going to come with a job promotion. Their hope was not going to come by even getting out of their situation. Their hope had to come from some other place. And that's why Christianity prevailed for 2,000 years before our modern world. Because people knew that if their hope was not tied to a realm, to a place, other than the crap they were living in now, then they'd never have hope. If their hope was not tied to a Jesus that, as he said, I go to prepare a place for you. If their hope wasn't tied to that, they'd have no hope. So eternal hope to to modern day ears, because the media influences us so much, seems like, well, it's pie in the sky, it's wishful thinking, it's for people that don't have much here. Don't buy into that lie. That's the lie of people who are mired in temporal hope and, and, and don't have any other hope that they can bank on. You and I know different. We have the hope of eternity that means much more than any temporal hope we could ever be given. Because now watch this. Notice I said three things in point two. And that is that without God, you can have some temporal hope. With God, you can have incredible eternal hope, abiding eternal hope. And then I said you can have enhanced temporal hope. One last verse. 1 Timothy 4.10, for it is for this that we labor and strive. Pause right there. Paul is laboring and striving with Timothy in the present, in the temporal world. And what does he say? Because we have fixed our, say the word with me, hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. What Paul's doing here is really rich. He's combining his temporal world with eternal hope. (laughs) And he's essentially saying that in my daily laboring and striving, in all the things I'm doing to try to build the kingdom this side of heaven, I got hope. And that hope isn't just a temporal hope of a Jeep on the price is right. The hope that I have is a living hope tied to the Savior of all men, and it affects my labor and striving now. So that's the beauty of all this, gang, is that the eternal hope affects even our temporal hope and enhances it and makes the things we do on this temporal level that much more satisfying as we do them through faith in Christ. Really quickly, let me finish the story of my friend Mike, who I mentioned earlier. 2005, he's on The Price is Right, wins a Jeep and a bunch of other stuff. Things are going great. Four years later, everything has changed. The marriage that he thought he was good crashed and burned and he ended in divorce. The job that he thought was great in the army, go figure this, wasn't quite as fulfilling as he thought it would be. And he's now miserable in the army and he's about to be deployed to a place called Djibouti. Look it up on Google. It's in Northeast Africa. He sent me pictures when he was there and it was of the ocean and I said, it doesn't look so bad. He said, let me turn the camera around. And I go, oh my gosh, that's really bad. It's a desolate place. And so he's depressed, he's discouraged, quite frankly, he's borderline suicidal, and he has no hope at all in this world, like some of us get to. This is about 1999, or I'm sorry, about 2009. And doesn't it always happen this way? He meets a girl. I don't know why God always uses that, but he meets a girl. And he likes this girl. The only problem is this girl has an eternal hope. This girl knows the Lord. And this girl has standards. And so she says to him, before we go any further, 
you're going to have to do some business with God and it better be real or we're not going anywhere. And he says, well, how do I do that? He goes, I want you to start going to this church called Scottsdale Bible Church. I want you to start to listen to my pastor. He goes, I'm about to be deployed to Djibouti. She said, good, we got a live feed that goes on every Sunday. I remember the first emails I started getting from Mike, man, he was just, I mean, it wasn't about the girl. I'm good at detecting that. Man, if you try to snow me that you're coming to Jesus because of the girl, I'll figure that one out in a heartbeat. But I could tell with Mike, it wasn't about the girl. By the way, he did end up getting the girl, but that's another story. Uh, It was about the Lord at that time. And and I watched Mike, and I watched this, go from this temporal hope and this broken marriage and, and this depression and this hatred of his job to developing an eternal hope through faith in Jesus. And it was so real, as I've said so so often, he went from black and white to technicolor. I mean, it was so real to him. And it started to color the way, as he came to Jesus, the way that he viewed his job in the army, the way that he viewed relationships. He has three children, the way he viewed his lost children. And when he finally came back here, he had grown so much in, in the Lord that, that the girl was ready to, to marry him. And so we actually married him in our prayer garden before our Compelled by Grace thing. And uh, it was just beautiful to watch him kind of reboot his life with a renewed type of hope. As I met with him this week, he's no longer in the army, but he's in a job that he really doesn't like. I always ask men, I ask him, you know, do you like your job? And because uh, it's important for men and women. And uh, he said, nah, I really don't. He's, he's working actually in a prison in the maximum security level. And it's just a tough job. And, and, I, and he said, but you know, it'll, it'll give me a good retirement someday. <laughs> and then he said this, he said, but you know, it's different now. Because every day I walk with the Lord. And every day I pray for God to use me. And every day it's a journey with him. And so even though the job's not satisfying, he is satisfying. And I got the front row seat gang to watch this guy go from temporal hope to eternal hope and then for that eternal hope to affect his temporal world and he's okay, he has hope. And even as he was telling me about that price is right thing, he was laughing and saying, I can't believe it was all that exciting because my life now is so much more than I ever hoped for. And the point is gang, each and every one of us can have this kind of hope. If we choose, we can have an eternal hope that greatly enhances any of our temporal hope. And the only question we have to ask and answer, and what this will be, do, will be done, is how? How can we tap into this eternal hope that affects our temporal hope? And here's your final point, and that is that Jesus is the source of any hope worth having. That's what you need to see. If you're wondering how you tap into eternal hope, listen to me, gang, it's not through being a general believer in God. Most Americans are still that, and they're mired in temporal hope. Jesus Christ was described by John as coming to this world as the light of men. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. If hope is about darkness, the only way you're ever going to get light is through Jesus. Look at how Peter would say it in the passage we read earlier. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. (laughs) So you can't have hope without the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your bread and butter when it comes to hope. You can't have hope without being born again uh, through accepting Christ as Lord and Savior and literally being born anew in the Spirit 
through your faith and trust in him. God loves you. And we wanted to communicate his love to you. You know what he decided to do in your sinful and fallen condition? He decided to send you Jesus who became the forgiver of your sins through his death on a cross and rose from the dead to give you hope each and every day. And your only job is to come to him, to believe in him as he reveals himself to you. And when you do that, the Bible says you've crossed over from death to life, from no hope <clears throat> to having hope. I want you to look up here on the screen right now. Uh, we decided to talk to one of our friends <clears throat> at the Cactus Campus. Uh, this individual's name is Bill. And Bill has an amazing story of his journey here in Scottsdale and how he crossed over from no hope to hope. And then we'll wrap up our service in a special way. Went to college, got my business degree. Uh, I'd started dating my future wife, and then at the age of 22, we got married. We had a division headquarters for the telephone company there in our hometown, and so I went to work there. And that's where my career started, my professional career. Here I was around uh, executives that were wearing $1,000 suits and flying around on company airplanes and living that life. About nine years into that, I sort of had reached, you know, the top of where I was at. Um, in terms of my career, that would be what I would do for the rest of life and I'd retire happily and wealthy and so forth. Even though we had those successes and our kids were doing well and all of those things, there was still inside an emptiness about that. In August of 2003, I turned on the news that night and they said that Somebody had been struck and killed by lightning on the golf course. It was the president of our company. And it threw all of everything into turmoil there and it was a power struggle about who was gonna control things and six months later, I got let go. My entire life had been wrapped up in that identity and I had nowhere to fall back on. That led to a lengthy period of about 14 years of just a gradual decline. Um, I just never was able to get back up off the deck. Failure started to happen, which I'd never experienced before. Then, as that time went along, then I started to paper that over with drinking, and it became more and more of a problem. That just, that series of behavior and living life that way on self-reliance, went on for about 14 years. One night at Bash's, it had been a long day. It was at the end of the night and some people had been rude to me. And I was staring into the oven at that point and I thought, I have no idea what to do. And just this overwhelming sense and feeling of hopelessness. It's a really dark place that you're constantly surrounded by. It doesn't matter if the sun's up, or the sun's down. You're just kind of constantly surrounded in darkness. It is such a hollow and shallow and indescribable place to be. Within days after that, a, a friend of mine at work named Sherry, she came to me and understood that I 
was had a desire to do something about work, and she gave me a pamphlet on Scottsdale Bible Church, pointing me to the career assistance ministry. In the very back panel, there was something about a life recovery Bible study. There was a point in the life recovery Bible study that I recognized that I needed to give my life to Christ. I got involved in the men's Bible study at Cactus Campus, and uh, the men's leader, Mike, has come by my side and taken me under his wing and teaching me how to live a life in Christ, and we go through life together. I was living this life of darkness, having no idea how to bring any light to it, and now I have a relationship with Christ that lights that world up for me. And now, every day is so much different. The desire to pick up a drink of any kind had completely been lifted. And as I grew and learned, I knew that that was the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of us running around out there that don't look like we would be a candidate for something like this. And that's really my goal in sharing my story about that, is that I know that there are so many men out there that are in desperate situations. Now that I've accepted Christ, I think my family does see me differently. And my hope isn't just in eternal life, it's in getting through this life. Because of Jesus and my relationship with Christ, my life has been forever changed. You know, one of the things we've established in this series is how incredibly complex 21st century living is. And you can be like Bill where things are riding high and you're doing just fine and living the good life. And before you know it, man, things can turn on a dime. And it's many times way beyond our control. And that's why it's possible, Christian or not, to to lose hope. And I hope what you hear in Bill's story more than anything else is that as you come to Jesus, as you submit to him hope can be found again. So we've been preparing for this day here at our church for months on end, ever since the Lord led me to to do this series last summer. And and we knew that at the end of this series, we were going to give you who feel called a chance to respond. We do this periodically here at our church. So here and at our other uh, campuses and venues, I'm going to turn over to them in a minute. We're going to invite any of you who would like to commit to Jesus to receive hope, to come forward. Sometimes it's really important that your body, your soul, and your spirit all work in unison. And and so we're gonna ask you to to get up physically, come down to be with me here or with Pastor Rick or Pastor Ray or Pastor Kevin or Pastor Rustin at other campuses and venues and, and to come down and be here and to receive prayer as you commit to the Lord Jesus, the source of your hope. So this will be two types of people coming forward here today. For those of you who are like Bill, that have never received any hope from him, you've never come home to Jesus Christ in faith, this will be you coming forward to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and to receive the source of your hope for the very first time. And then there'll be others of you who have accepted Christ already, but you've hit some hopeless times. And today you realize once again, where the source of your hope is, the Jesus who loves you. And we're going to ask you to come forward, to recommit your life to him and to the hope that he offers you. 
We did this last night and it was a profound time. So don't be shy to do this. This is not time for you to sit in your seat, you know, thinking, well, I don't know if I want to come forward. If God is tapping you on the shoulder that you need to commit to Jesus, again, for the first time or recommit, I'm going to invite you forward. You need to do that here in just a few minutes. So I'm going to pray right now. And after I get done praying, we're going to release uh, the other campuses and venues for their intimate times together. And then I'll lead us here in the Shea Worship Center. So let's bow together and pray. God, Father, I thank you for your holy word that has led us into a right understanding today of hope. And God, if I don't miss my guess, there are some, if not many of us here today where this thing of hope resonates with us. We are in a world that is mired in temporal hope and loses it so often, even on a temporal level. But Lord, we've been given a chance through the Lord Jesus to rise above that, to go beyond that and to tap into a hope that's eternal, that's never fading and perishable, and that can even color the world that we live in. And so, Lord, as we realize that that joy and hope is found in Jesus, God, we thank you, and we want to respond now. In Christ's name I pray, amen.